Hello and welcome to How to Win Friends and Influenza, a podcast all about different specialties in medicine. Today I'd like to introduce someone very special on the podcast, which is me, your host, Lily. Also, I've got Professor Philip Boyce with me, who's an expert in psychiatry. And that's because this episode is on psychiatry. It's quite interesting because most of medicine is, by definition, medical. Well, it's that, or surgical, or it's that, or it's uh, psychiatric. So psychiatry is a branch of medicine dealing with disorders of mental health. And it's distinct from neurology and psychology, although these these can share some similarities. But today we've got Professor Philip to um, walk us through psychiatry, his experience in the specialty, and tell us a little bit more about it. So welcome, Professor Philip. Pleasure. Well, thank you for coming on the show. First, uh, let's start off with an overview of what psychiatry is. Well, psychiatry is the discipline where we look after people with uh, mental disorders. Um, This range from schizophrenia, bipolar disorder through to depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder. Also, we're looking at people who may have mental health problems associated with physical disorders. So they may have... um, Uh, say multiple sclerosis and they may have some uh, associated symptoms with that and so we look after those people as well and try and provide treatment to deal with the mental health problems associated with a physical disorder. And how well do you find that this area is understood by people because say just with the word schizophrenia um, there's quite a lot of varying degrees of um, conceptions from the general public. Yeah, look, it's it's changed very dramatically over the last 20 to 30 years. When I first started in the psychiatry, something people didn't talk about. You never mentioned those kind of problems that people might be having. Uh, People might have breakdowns and no one quite knew what that was. But in certainly this century, there's been an explosion of information about uh, people's mental disorders um, with a great focus on mental health, which is a bit of a misnomer in many ways because we're actually treating mental ill health, not mental health, mm. <laughs> uh, although everyone says it's mental health. Um, so people are becoming much more aware about psychiatric disorders, particularly the common disorders, uh, depression and anxiety, with the initiatives for Beyond Blue. I think everybody knows about Beyond Blue and about depression now, and similarly about anxiety disorders people are very familiar with them very aware of them the problem is people misunderstand exactly what's happening in the more severe mental disorders such as schizophrenia or bipolar disorder and often mental people misuse the term mental health I'm putting it in context you know we had uh, this morning uh, where the president of the United States uh, attributed the murder of uh, a group of people in a church to the person having a mental health it was a mental health thing. Um, the guy was bad. <laughs> he had a mental illness, and people with mental illness don't go about doing that kind of thing. So there's quite a bit of understanding, and people get blamed for mental health things when it may actually not be. It may be just that it's the way they behave. Mm, and how did you know that you wanted to get into psychiatry? Was it something you knew while you were a student or before, or did it happen through experience? Um, I was thinking about it when you said you're going to talk to me, and it, it was really kind of interesting because I guess when I was in my early teens, um, we just got a TV, and there was a TV show on uh, called The Television Doctor, and it was actually a psychiatrist who was talking about conversion disorders, uh, and that just fascinated me. It was extraordinary to hear that people could, you know, have a paralysis that wasn't caused by some injury to the brain, and I was really quite interested and started reading about it, and then when I went to medical school um, I was attached to that 
psychiatrist to do for his final rotation uh, as a working in the hospital is very well known psychiatrist in the UK and he sort of again inspired much more interest in it so I was really interested in psychiatry whilst I was at medical school and then um, when I did my initial intern jobs we had to go to start specialty training very early on in those days and I had the option of going into psychiatry or to something else and I took the psychiatry option I never regretted it. Was there any difficulty in making that choice or was your heart set there all along? My heart was set there. I mean, it was difficult because I had to make a choice because we had to be interviewed for jobs in those days and I was being offered a very good job in uh, paediatrics, you know, which is a bit terrifying. And, <laughs> and I thought the scourge job was going to be a bit easier. <laughs> I guess each has their own difficulties. With psychiatry, there's a very human element to it. You get a lot of individual stories of distress, especially with mental illness. Mm. So I, I suppose saying that one is harder than the other, it's, it's um, very arguable. How would you cope with this sort of um, stress in psychiatry? Look, it's difficult. I think seeing people with severe mental illness can be very distressing and very confronting for you. Um, but one of the good things about it is you work with other people and you talk with other people. So you talk with your colleagues. Um, the group of people I did my training with, um, we used to share our stories and talk about it and, de and debrief with each other. Um, so that's the way we can cope. Um, I also was one time contemplating, you know, doing psychoanalysis and so I did have some therapy for a few years and that really helped to get to an understanding of myself. Um, plus being able to reflect uh, yourself and think about what's been going on, sort of personal reflection actually is a really great way of helping deal with those stresses. Now you mentioned a social aspect to it, discussing with other trainees, other doctors. Yeah. Is there anyone who does the opposite, maybe just holds it all in or is that completely maladaptive? Look, I think that's a problem, uh, and we, in my involvement with the College of Psychiatrists, where psychiatrists may transgress the rules, they find that often those are the ones that are working in a very isolated way, uh, maybe in rural areas where they don't have colleagues to talk to on a regular basis. So that's where people can get into stress from their job or get into trouble from their job. Um, but it's now actually mandatory that as psychiatrists we have to have peer review meetings regularly. So we do discuss our cases and do share with the problems we're experiencing looking after patients with our colleagues. So it's something we always have to do now. And certainly something I've always done when I have a patient who's particularly challenging or difficult or I'm not sure I'm handling it well, I'll talk about it with a colleague and get some advice or help or you know, guidance as to how best to proceed. Yeah, and that raises the interesting question of psychiatry compared to, say, um, cardiovascular or respiratory, where you might be able to listen to the heart and do some sort of spirometry tests. With psychiatry, how do you track the progress of patients? Um, well, you have to observe them, talk with them, listen to what they're saying. Um, it depends on whether you're doing it formally in a, say, a clinical trial where you do regular measures of the patient, say if they've got uh, symptoms of schizophrenia or depression or whatever. You will measure them using structured instruments to track their progress. But with patients you're seeing every day, you know them, you know how they're coping with things, finding out how they're functioning how their everyday life is going, how they're coping with their relationships. So you're trying to get a very broad perspective of the patient to understand how they're functioning in their life. Yeah, so do you tend to have um, longer term relationships with the patients or is it see them once and they sort of disappear forever? Uh, I tend to see people for quite a long time. So I've got patients I've been seeing for uh, 30 plus years. Wow. Seeing regularly, I've, you know, I've quite a few patients I see them occasionally, I don't see them every week or 
that frequently, but I'll keep seeing them for for several years. That relationship is really important to the patient, uh, and that can often stop them from having a relapse of their illness. Right. And um, with yourself, you've got a special interest in um, perinatal psychiatry. What other areas or subspecialties of psychiatry are available? Oh, look, they're they're a broad range. I mean, we've got age uh, bands of psychiatry, so we've got child and child psychiatry, looking at younger people. People focus on youth psychiatry, as probably Pat McGorry has been talking about a lot of how we need to be emphasising the well, mental well-being of the youth, because that's where a lot of the mental disorders arise. There's old age psychiatry, uh, looking after people over 65. Um, there is a forensic psychiatry, people looking after who may be involved in uh, various uh, offences. Uh, community psychiatry where you'll just be working in uh, community teams looking after people in the community rather than the hospital-based psychiatry. There's acute psychiatry looking after people who are coming into a psychiatric intensive care units. So uh, psychosomatics or consultation liaison psychiatry where you're looking after people with comorbid medical illness and how that may be presenting. So there's definitely quite a lot of choice in psychiatry. It's huge choice. (laughs) So when you're going through the training program, do you have to split off into something or can you do a bit of everything? The College of Psychiatrists are very focused and retaining it as one specialty rather than having lots of different subspecialty training. So you have to do a general training in psychiatry to become qualified as a psychiatrist. But during the course of the training, you're expected to do different rotations. So it'll be uh, general adult psychiatry, child and adolescent psychiatry, consultation liaison, old age psychiatry. So you're expected to do all those rotations so you get experience in all of them before when you're in your final years of training, you may branch off into a subspecialty that you might be particularly interested in. Okay, and can you tell me a little bit more about the training program? How long does it typically take and what are the sorts of things that they look for in successful trainees? It's a five-year training program. Uh, not many people get through in five years. Um, it's the, the training program has been evolving over the last 10, 20 years. Uh, it's now you can much more competency-based, so we're trying to adif- identify the competencies a trainee should have by the end of their training. Um, and so we're trying to progress their training to make sure they can achieve all those competencies. And those competencies will have to be in, say, uh, general adult psychiatry or child and adolescent psychiatry. There may be different things they've got to achieve at that point. Along that sort of clinical competency, they need to be getting a developing their knowledge base so they've got a basic understanding of basic sciences neurosciences psychopharmacology so they get those basic sciences incorporated in the training and that's assessed by a a written assessment Um, most of the clinical competencies are assessed using workplace-based assessments uh, observed interviews uh, mini cex exams and so on so that's where we're trying to assess competency we're also looking at um, using a whole can meds framework which i don't know if you're familiar with the can meds framework looking at the different roles we as doctors have so we're looking at how they perform as a professional um, how they perform as an advocate for their patients how they perform as a, a scholar doing research getting understanding of research, uh, increasing their clinical knowledge as well as being a clinician. Okay, and what sorts of um, qualities as a person um, would you look for in a potential psychiatrist? Well, I think you have to be interested in people. Um, That's, I guess, a key aspect of being a psychiatrist. You've got to have a fascination with people and how people tick. 
I think you need to have a good knowledge base and be prepared to, to work and develop that knowledge base. Um, you've got to be able to relate to people as well. I think that's very important. And we even assess it in our medical students, how they be able to relate to the patients when they're doing clinical interviewing. So all of those things we look for in a psychiatrist or potentially in a psychiatrist. And they've got to have good ethical standards. Mm. Um, that's really important because it's an area where ethics become very, very important. Yeah, I suppose a lot of the patients could be quite vulnerable. So certainly you'd want ethics in any doctor, but sure. especially in this area. Well, it's also very important because we often will have to deprive people of their liberty. Uh, because they're unwell, we need to place them under the Mental Health Act. And that's a very serious kind of thing to have to do. And you want to make sure you're doing that in a responsible and appropriate way because, you know, there are not many people who've got the power to lock people up. Mm. And in psychiatry, it's one of those areas where we can deprive people of their liberty for a period of time because they're so unwell they can't look after themselves. And so it's something you have to think very, very carefully about before you do it. Yeah, so that's certainly one area of psychiatry that's different from other areas of medicine. Another area um, in which it's kind of unique is the examination of psychiatry. So again, with something like cardiovascular or respiratory, you'll listen to the chest. Uh, maybe um, neurology, you'll do some neurological testing. So I think the psychiatry examination, the mental state examination, is a little bit different. Could you just give us an overview for anyone who hasn't done a psychiatric term? Well, the mental state examination is based on really everything you observe and experience when you're seeing a patient from the moment they walk in the door to the moment you finish your interview. And so you've got to really try and observe how they are, their behaviours during the interview. How does that behaviour sit with uh, the context they're in? So if they've maybe over familiar or over friendly during very might be very nice but it's inappropriate for the clinical context so you have to say there's some abnormality there and you have to try and define what that abnormality is and describe it to other people so other people will understand what you're talking about you've also got to try and find out about some things that the patient may be experiencing that are quite abnormal like hearing people talking to them when there's nobody around or one of the most fascinating things I find is um, having to ask patients, do you ever feel that people, thoughts are being put into your brain from outside? Now, on the surface, that sounds a ridiculous question. Um, but if you have to start thinking about what is the thought and where do thoughts come from, it can puzzle anybody. But when patients say, yes, um, the Martians are putting thoughts into my mind, uh, we realise that's a part of their psychopathology. So we have to elicit some fairly unusual things from the patient, um, which at first blush might sound totally crazy, but we know that patients experience those symptoms and we need to be able to elicit them from the patient. Yeah, and um, you've given the analogy um, in other times of being like Sherlock Holmes, which yeah. I think is especially relevant to psychiatry because Sherlock Holmes can go around deducing things without necessarily touching mm -hmm. patients and doing exams on them. Yeah. So certainly that's a very good analogy. Yes. Now, uh, on the topic of media references, I'm going to make an allusion to The Wolf of Wall Street. So if anyone hasn't seen that movie <laughs> or read that book, then just block your ears now. But um, at the very end of the film, um, Leonardo DiCaprio tell someone in the audience to sell him this pen and um, I always thought that was a, a very good line to use on people perhaps um, a little bit confronting but I'm going to use that on you now Professor Philip could you sell me psychiatry and make me want to do psychiatry what is good about psychiatry it's the most interesting branch of medicine it's the branch of medicine where you actually have to really 
put things together, going through basic neuroscience, uh, trying to understand how the brain works, and goodness knows how it does work, but we have to try and make best sense of it. So it's fascinating from a sort of theoretical view, trying to understand why um, the brain works and why people get unwell in some ways. It's extraordinarily rewarding when you see people getting well. Um, when you've had a, a patient uh, in my area with um, perinatal psychiatry, a woman who has had a, a severe psychosis and then she gets better from it and she can then see her with being interacting with her baby. It's most joyful experience seeing people get well from their illness. It also actually leads, you can actually have quite a good life life work balance mm. in psychiatry with some other dis branches of medicine you don't quite get <laughs> <laughs> which shall not be named <laughs> uh, and with every good ad there comes um, a little asterisk that says terms and conditions apply yes. so what are the pitfalls or cautionary things that people should consider before jumping into psychiatry look it is hard work um, I mean I'd say it's got good life work balance but it is actually hard work I think if you're vulnerable yourself it may not be the right thing for you um, and you need to understand yourself to be comfortable working in psychiatry and you have to put up with quite a lot of negative events in psychiatry because not all patients get well um, some of them can be quite rude and abrasive towards you you've got to be able to cope with the, the you know the the bad times as well as the good okay and that's an excellent segue for me to introduce a listener question so from brain on fire as the username we have a question about what are the psychiatric um, traits in psychiatric trainees and do psychiatrists ever become psychiatrists so they can better understand their own minds look i think uh there's no specific trait in a psychiatric trainee, and I've seen lots and lots of them over my time. Um, I think a lot of us, not, not the overt reason to go into psychiatry to try and understand us better, but it's something we're always trying to do, I think. We, we always like to try and understand our own selves a bit better, and psychiatry is a great avenue for doing that in some ways. And particularly if you go through a therapy yourself and you really have to sort of think about everything you've done and your relationships, um, you will get a better understanding of yourself. And is it hard to turn that off? Do you tend to take work outside work? I mean, for example, I spoke to a, another senior psychiatrist who said he absolutely does not take any work home. When he's sitting in the cafe with his friend and his friend tries to point someone out who might be, in the friend's words, crazy, he says, nope, uh, this is not my work time. I'm not going to diagnose anyone or comment on anyone. Yeah, look, I, you probably try not, not to take your work, but it's hard not to, not to take it with mm, you yeah. a bit of the time. I mean, uh, my partner's a journalist, and you know, she, she's even worse than I <laughs> <laughs> always asking questions. But, but, you know, it's fun. You can see people, and you can create an, a scenario around them and try and get some understanding from people. But that's more fun than taking your work with you. And does it ever spill over into your personal life? Maybe in a good or bad way. Maybe you get a better understanding of people you meet at social gatherings. Um, I certainly don't try and interact as a psychiatrist at social <laughs> gatherings. A, you know, I try and pretend I'm not, I'm just I'm a doctor. Because <laughs> otherwise people will say, well, you know, and launch into something to try and fix them up. But you do step away from it in social mm. gatherings. When people do find out, I'm sure some of them inevitably will, do they go down that stereotype of, can you read my mind? And do you know what I mean? Oh, yes, that comes up regularly. And so you say, yeah, but I'll only tell you if you pay me enough. <laughs> and that probably stops them, doesn't that stops it? Them. <laughs> okay. Now, um, going back to what makes psychiatry very unique compared to some other specialties, there are some gray areas. For example, some of the criteria itself in the um, DSM, some of it's subject to change, some of mm -hmm. it is subjective itself. 
Um, and the scary thing is anyone who reads those diagnostic criteria, you can find that some of it or a lot of it might apply to you. So how do you define um, something that's abnormal as opposed to normal? It's, it's all quite on the same spectrum, isn't it? Yeah, look, I think there's some things that are actually both qualitatively and quantitatively quite different. So people with the severe mental illnesses, mm. there are they are quite different from people without those mental illnesses. So say schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, fairly clear cut. There's a dimensional thing, uh, I guess, in terms of depression, for example, you know, ranging from normal depression right the way through to severe clinical depression. The big problem is where you draw that cut between what's normal and what's abnormal. And it's a very, very vexed question. Um, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, DSM, which people call the Psychiatrist Bible, it's not. It's a really a coding manual, but it's been misused. Um, and they've probably got it a bit wrong. And we um, need to be much cleverer at trying to demarcate between the normal expressions of mood or emotion that everyone will have and what's abnormal. And they shift that bar quite a bit. Um, I think a lot of it was probably driven by the pharmaceutical companies who are trying to sell their antidepressants and shift that bar so more and more people could get put onto antidepressants. It is a difficult and complicated area and I don't know what the answer is going to be. Um, I have heard a theory that it's much easier to give someone a diagnostic label than it is to take it away. And I think uh, long ago before they had more rigid ethics in place, there was an experiment where uh, I think they got a bunch of people to masquerade as patients and mm -hmm. uh, something along the lines of pretending to have the diagnoses when yeah, they were they, actually normal. They said they could hear yeah. a voice. Yeah, yeah. And they were admitted into psychiatry wards and they spent a, a fair bit of time there and it took a long time for them to be discharged. Mm. Um, yeah, that's absolutely true. Once you get a di diagnostic label, it's very, very hard to remove it. Um, I do see people quite a lot who've got a label of bipolar disorder and I do a thorough assessment of them and they don't have it. And trying to remove that diagnosis from them is very, very difficult. Sometimes they want to cling on to it. Oh. Other times other people want to cling on to it. Okay. So it is a complicated thing. Getting diagnostic labels removed is very, very hard, especially now with electronic medical records. They're, right. They're so it sounds like there are two things there. One is it's it's hard to backtrack on the history um, from the medical point of view. And the second mm. thing is it might become part of someone's identity. It could, yeah. I think some people will take on their diagnosis as, you know, this is me, um, which is quite wrong. I mean, they're, they're a person that has a diagnosis. They're not mm. the diagnosis. And that can be a really difficult issue for some people. Um, we, we try not to do that kind of labelling thing approach we try and say the person has an illness not the person is the illness yeah and that's the same with any other part of medicine it could yeah. be a person who happens to have heart disease or um, malignancy rather yeah. than they are defined by that thing yeah, yeah. but to go back to that point again i think there's um uh, there's an, become an unfortunate trend where people do something wrong. They suddenly haul out a psychiatric diagnosis. Yeah, I've got bipolar or I'm mm. depressed and that's why I um, misbehaved after the footy game or whatever it was. Uh, and again, I think this came out this morning with um, the pres President Trump saying this guy was all mental health. Um, people would use those labels to avoid responsibility for their behaviours and that's really unfortunate. There are some people with mental illness who do conduct you know uh, problematic behaviors as a consequence but it's not that common yeah and so that would come under more under um, forensic psychiatry I suppose but yeah. I think there are quite strict criteria you need to be able to be found um, innocent by reason of mental illness that's it's right got yeah. to be quite yeah. profound generally psychotic yes that's right yeah yeah 
Um, now, in everyday life, people tend to throw around, around words like, um, you know, this person's so obsessive compulsive, or they use the word anxiety quite lightly. Um, how do you feel when you hear that sort of thing happening? It depends on the context. Mm. Um, I mean, anxiety is an interesting one, because it's good. Uh, it, to some extent, a bit of anxiety actually helps you perform better. So if you've got some anxiety, you know, if you're studying for an exam or something, you'll perform a lot better if you're a bit anxious. Uh, sports people build up their anxiety before a game, so that's okay. Um, we do bandy around terms, uh, you know, people are a bit obsessive and so on. I think that may, is quite different from what we see when we're seeing a person with that specific disorder, such as sepsis compulsive disorder. We always say people are a bit obsessive. Some of our colleagues are a bit obsessive in some ways. I won't say who or why. But that's quite often quite different from someone who's actually troubled by obsessive-compulsive disorder, which is a really disabling illness. Mm. And another really interesting part of psychiatry is personality disorders, which is a little bit scary because personality is what makes us who we are. And so when you find someone has a personality that's maladaptive enough that it's causing them distress in life, it's, mm-hmm. it's a little bit frightening. So what can you tell me about personality disorders? Well, these are people who not only cause distress in their own lives, but cause distress in other people's mm. lives. And I guess a lot of the focus has been on people with the borderline personality yeah. disorder or uh, affect dysregulation and these are people that just cause havoc wherever they go I mean, in simple terms um, I, f- I actually find them really quite interesting because the interactions with them are really difficult I used to treat a lot of them uh, when I was much younger um, and the way they shift um, from being you know sort of you know positive towards you to being totally hostile towards you in a matter of seconds is extraordinary I find that really interesting and you know you can if you can survive the rages they go through uh, and survive them then you can actually try and help them but the interesting thing about those personality disorders is what they do for the treating teams is you may find that they will have some people in the treating teams that think they're wonderful and others think they're just despicable people and the treating team fight each other rather than looking after the right. patient the patient itself so those I think are really fascinating dynamics and personality disorders particularly the borderline personality are some of the most difficult people we have to look after. And how do you deal with a patient who's quite angry or quite emotional in front of you? Do you have any tips? Uh, you've got to remain calm um, not panic um, and try and figure out and think what it is that's going on that's making this person feel so angry at this point and you really got to work very hard to try and figure it out and use your own resources to try and understand it so you can defuse the situation and let the person speak normally to you. And what about the opposite where someone's not very forthcoming or just uncooperative how would you um, gain rapport and you know build up that trust with them? You need to find out again, it's trying to understand where the patient is coming from, you know, walking in their shoes or whatever term you like to use, and try and get an understanding what their reticence is about, if they've been, if they disclosed things to people before and been uh, bullied or something happened to them. So you've got to be very patient and very gentle to, to let them slowly open up. And what makes a good psychiatric interview? <sighs> I wish I knew. Um, <laughs> I think some of the best interviews are the ones where I don't say a word and the patient just tells me their story and I don't need to do anything, I just listen mm. and listen carefully. I think a good psychiatric interview is letting the patient take the lead. 
to some degree, but also needing to guide the patient to get the, you know, find out as much as you can about the patient. So what you want to do is let the patient tell you everything they can. Right. And coming back to psychiatry as a discipline, um, what are the opportunities for psychiatry in the end? Can You can do public work, private work. What, yeah. what sorts of things are out there? There's a huge amount. I mean, you can, uh, you can work in sort of academic psychiatry where you get involved in research, uh, working in the public health system, as many of the ones here out at Westmead and Cumberland do. Uh, it's a very good job. You have to look after some of the difficult patients with psychosis. Um, you can work in consultation liaison psychiatry where you're just working in the general hospital alongside physicians, surgeons and so on. Or a lot, quite a lot of people go and work in uh, private practice, but they may do a day or two a week in uh, public practice as a, as a medical officer. Quite a lot of them are doing what's called fly in, fly out, so they'll go up into rural areas and work for a day in a rural area, being paid for as a VMO to go out there. So there's a huge range of opportunities, medical legal work, uh, working with children and adolescents, working in youth centres. Um, now, I know just a second ago we were talking about, you know, what makes a good psychiatric interview um, dealing with a patient. Suddenly I've jumped to different career opportunities. And the reason is, um, what are the differences between public and private patients, if any? Is, is there a big difference in demographics or type of illness? Um, there, there is some differences. Obviously, the ones that are going into private practice are probably financially better off, um, which means they probably don't come from the socially disadvantaged groups such as we have in Western Sydney. Um, they also will probably get in public psychiatry, you, you see a lot more people with psychosis, with schizophrenia, with bipolar disorder and severe personality disorders, whereas in the private sector you'll see people with those illnesses as well, but they've probably got more resources wrapped around them, uh, families and so on that can support them and help them. But you're also going to see more of the non-psychotic disorders, you know, it's quite severe depression, uh, severe anxiety disorders as well. Okay. And when we're talking about hours as a trainee and a consultant, are they very different? Hours? Um, hours in terms of work and um, uh, having to be on call or anything like that? Look, it's um, for for trainees now. They when they're on call, they they do a night a week on week of nights on call where they okay. don't work during the day. So they'll start. I think, I think they start at ten at night and finish at eight in the morning right. when they're doing a, they're on call at night. Another registrar will work and from the evening up until ten p.m. Uh, and they get ADOs. So they normally work a sort of nine to five ish sort okay. of job. Uh, consultants were on call about once once every eight, ten days or so, where you expect to take calls during the night. Um, it's not, it is a bit of a burden, but it's not too onerous. We're not having to get up and race into the hospital <laughs> to carry out an operation. Um, so yeah, it is, it is a bit burdensome, but mostly if you're full-time in the public sector, I don't know, you work usual hours, sort of eight to six or whatever it is. Okay, and um, for you, how do you fill up your spare time when you're not doing psychiatry? Um, I like reading. I've just taken up golf, so I'm enjoying playing golf. I've yeah. just cut down my days of my days working, so I can go out and play golf and like being with family. Yeah, and um, how is the golf going? Not terribly good. <laughs> Long-term investment. It takes Long-term time investment. To something I've just recently taken up. Yeah, but it's it's good to hear that you know there is time to do these extra yeah. things oh, yeah. inside. No, you, know, you know, going to theatres and opera and so on. So a lot of things I like doing. Excellent. Lots of very cultured things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, thank you so much for your time. Before we end, I just wanted to ask some very exciting stuff, which is 
what is the craziest or most interesting delusion story that you have in your many years of practice? Look, there are lots of them. Um, I think one of the weirdest is probably uh, people with severe depression who have uh, delusion that they don't exist. Oh. Or delirium de negation. And they, they, say, well, they say that they're dead. You say, well, how can you be dead if you're talking to me? He said, but I know I'm dead. So that, that is a pretty bizarre delusion, and it's very difficult trying to talk with someone who believes that they don't exist or they're dead. Yeah, so how, how do you do that? It doesn't sound like something you could really convince them out of. You can't. Uh, this is where, you know, with something like ECT, they will, they'll come yeah. out of it and they'll feel better, but it's a very strange delusion. Wow. Well, okay, well, thank you for that. <laughs> I'm a bit amazed. I don't know what to say about that. Um, but before we finally end, uh, I'd just like to ask for your one biggest tip for young doctors or budding psychiatrists. Um, be interested in people. And that That's sounds like yeah. a good lesson for general life anyway. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, thank you so much for being on the show. I hope our listeners have learned lots of interesting things about psychiatry and the many areas of medicine and illness that it spans. And we'll look forward to seeing you on the next show. Thank okay. you. Pleasure.